Welcome to Unveiling Organizational Culture, the podcast where we delve deep into the inner workings of the Toledo Museum of Art and other organizations and explore how culture shapes success, employee engagement, and overall performance. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer McCary, and in each episode, we'll be joined by a TMA team member, board member, or other industry experts and leaders to gain insight into the different facets of organizational culture. In today's episode, we will explore the fundamental aspects of organizational culture and its significance in the modern workplace. We'll also discuss how a positive and inclusive culture fosters creativity, innovation, and employee satisfaction. To shed light on this topic, we've invited Rodney Eason, an established expert in human resources and organizational culture. Rodney is also a member of the board of directors for the museum. Welcome, Rodney. Well, thank you for having me. Thanks so much. So before we dive into our discussion, could you please tell our listeners who you are, a bit about your professional journey and something you're comfortable sharing about yourself personally? Absolutely. Absolutely. So before I get started, I have to obviously thank you. I think it's this incredible work that you're doing here and thank I you. appreciate you allowing me to be a part of it. Um, I am a native of Toledo, Ohio, born and raised here um, pretty much my entire life from a professional standpoint. Um, while I'm in HR now, I actually did not start in HR. You know, I, I tell some of my mentees that, you know, careers are spaghetti, plates of spaghetti, not job lab. <laughs> they can go in different directions. So I actually started at, uh, in operations management at UPS midway through my college career, at University of Cincinnati and navigated up the organization in the operations management space, took a couple of rotations in the HR. And that's kind of how I kind of dip my toe into the HR space. So um, navigating from there, um, I went to Fifth Third Bank here locally, and I was a talent acquisition manager for both our local branches as well as some regional areas in the area of mortgage and commercial and investment advising and some other areas of the bank. Did that for about eight years, transitioned to the Andersons um, and got really into the strategic space of HR as an HR business partner. Uh, for about four to five years, and then transitioned to a local family-owned business called Principal Business Enterprises, where I took on the VP of HR role for about five years, which then landed me here at Erie Home Construction. And I've been here for about a year and a half as their VP of Talent and Human Resources. All of that career started at the University of Cincinnati with a degree in marketing and management. And uh, about 10 years later, got a degree, uh, my master's degree at Heidelberg University in Tiffin. So um, beyond that, just certified in human resources as a uh, SHRM senior certified professional, as well as a senior certified professional with HRCI. So that is the quick professional side. I know it's a mouthful. Thank you for allowing me to go through all of that. Yeah, great experience. Um, I would tell you personally, I have uh, a wife of 22 years and Two children, one at Ohio State and a daughter who is in sixth grade. And I am a big advocate of the community, i.e. part of the passion of serving on the Toledo Museum of Art, but also um, for leadership development. I'm a big proponent of leadership development, organizational development, change, all the spaces and places where people learn, develop and grow. So I will stop there because I could go on forever, but uh, that's kind of the quick, quick side of it. I love it. That's fantastic. And it's always so fascinating hearing people's career journeys uh, because I've known you and didn't know some of that. Yeah. yeah so that's yeah. awesome. 
So let's just uh, start by defining organizational culture. How would you describe it and what are its key components? So I like to simplify a lot of HR can have a lot of buzzwords and things of that nature. <laughs> so if you'll, if you'll allow me, I'll try to be as simple as possible and kind of yeah. drive things. But when I think about organizational porch culture, it's really kind of one line. This is how we do things here. Mm-hmm. That's different in different places. There's some similarities as you cross different business, whether it's private or public or in the nonprofit space, but it generally is the norms, the values, the processes and procedures that that organization has adopted. It's not always what's in the policy book. Uh, Policies are on paper, but it's the practice that really matters. And I think that's when you go to most places, that's really what they're saying. So, you know, when people transition from one place to another, you have to relearn that culture. But that's pretty much how I describe organizational culture. This is how we do things here. I appreciate that definition. So it's always fascinating how culture can have a significant impact on an organization. Could you share any real life examples of how a company's culture affected its performance and growth? Absolutely. Uh, You may have heard this um, said before, but I'm a big proponent in this one liner, which basically says culture eats strategy for lunch. Um, <laughs> that has been so real to me and other mm-hmm. in so many places. Um, so one example I can give you, there's an organization I actually, I can say this probably applies to a number of organizations, but in a previous life, you know, there was intent to put in a particular strategy to really reorganize the a particular department in order to increase product productivity. Okay. So in the process of that, um, all of the ideas and, and excitement around making these changes um, had the entire leadership team believing that this was going to transform the organization. And what ended up happening is it, the inertia of starting the process did start the process. But what what happened in that process is the culture started to eat away at all of the change that was in place. And it doesn't it's not always in front of you, sometimes it's very subtle. Mm-hmm. So it, it can kind of, it's kind of like, uh, it's, <laughs> I don't know why this analogy just came to my head, but it's almost like a woodchuck who's building a dam. It's slowly one piece at a time started to stop the flow of the transformation. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, you turn around and it's completely transformed back to what it was mm-hmm. with some slight changes. Um, but for the most part, not what it's intended to be. So, you know, specifically, um, when I think about that question, it really, you really have to monitor change to the point where you almost have to project management it after you make the change. You have to continue the project management to see it all the way through. If not, you can, it can morph into just a different version of what was. Mm. Mm. That's deep. Because I don't think that we ever think about, we're thinking about how to sustain our efforts. We don't think about the fact that we need to be really careful about it, not just morphing back into what it was before we started the initiatives. Absolutely. Yeah. So as we think about culture change, creating a positive culture is crucial, but it's easier said than done. So what are some steps an organization should take to cultivate a healthy and inclusive culture and why does it matter? You know, I think that's a great question. I think, number one, I think it really always starts with a high level of awareness of what we're trying to do. And let me tell you why. I I think there's generally what I've experienced is there's kind of like three buckets of people. You have people who are excited about change 
and they'll get they'll kind of come along with you know they'll follow it all the way through mm-hmm. you have some who are some they're on the fence like i hear what you're saying but i need to hear more and then you have those who are just the high resistors okay mm-hmm. now the challenge is not all of those three buckets seem to be very visible physically or even in action. There are people who might be excited about the change, but you may not see them physically react to it. But then there's also those who are resistors who will act like they're excited about the change, but behind the scenes will do everything they can to, to, to bring it down, right? <laughs> now, from a positive standpoint, because of those dynamics, what I always, I'm a big preacher of spending the adequate amount of time, both group and individually, strategically, really assessing where people are with the change and not just that, but giving them a chance to voice their concerns or even resistance to it. Uh, you know, pushing a change through and thinking that you kind of checked the box and got something done that, that generally is not how change happens. So I'm a big fan of spending a lot of time upfront in the awareness stage to not just share why you're changing it, but then once you get people understanding the change, get them involved in the change. Even if you don't do everything they recommend, they need to have a voice at the table and have a process and a practice of not just hearing those, those, but actually putting some of those things in the action. The people who are involved in the change can generally give you the deepest amount of insight as to the impact of the change, positively or negatively. Um, on your way to, to the positive change, they can kind of help you with the watch outs and the, the, the holes that could come along with it. And it get, and then allowing people to go through the change curve. Some people go through it faster than others, but it takes, it takes some people time and you have to be, you have to allow a certain level of patience to allow them to transition. If you force it through, if you make it quick, if you check the box just to think that you've accomplished something, what you're going to find is it probably will have a negative impact. So a lot of awareness, a lot of involvement. There are a lot of practices and techniques to, to get to that point. But I think that to me is the one thing that stands out because from awareness creates desire and a, and a certain level of knowledge. And then you really get to the point of changing things. And at the end of that process, you have to go back and reassess Did We really actually change. And then you repeat, rinse and repeat. You go through the more awareness, checking desire, level of understanding and knowledge of it, and then assessing um, the process again. Mm, Great advice. So you have so much experience in uh, the HR field and other areas, but what are the connections between organizational culture, talent acquisition, and employee satisfaction? That is a great point. So so I'm going to put it in this. So I like what you said, because all three components are connected. I'm going to start with talent acquisition, then organizational culture, and then how that affects things going forward. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When I heard that question, that's kind of where my mind organized in. Here's what I mean. When you acquire talent, the whole notion of talent acquisition, you have to think of it as like many little cultures. So when I hire a leader, specifically leaders, I am acquiring a culture. So when you hire someone, you're bringing them into your culture, but they're actually bringing their own culture mm-hmm. with them. And you really have to spend a lot of time on the cultural aspects. I know we we obviously want to assess people's ability to achieve results, which is important. That's the what. What I think most of the time we don't spend enough on is the how. Yes, I know you did this and you reached this number, you reached this metric, you've made this incredible thing happen at your previous organization. But tell me how you did. What is your methodology of leadership? What is your process 
of bringing people from A to B to Z. What, what, how do you get there? And when you spend a lot of time on that, what you will, will understand is when you acquire a leader, they're going to impact your culture. But the question is, is positively or negatively? So here, here's the, the three things that I look for. Hungry, humble, and smart. Hmm. Hungry, humble, and smart. I look for leaders who are all three of those things. Smart is smart with people. Yes, it's intelligent, of course. You have to assume that if they're at the table, they've already got a certain level of intelligence. But it's really smart with people. So are they humble enough to receive feedback? Okay. Mm -hmm. Are they smart with people to be able to, to bring people along and grow and develop them? But they are so hungry enough to continue to learn. And part of that is learning your own culture. So mm -hmm. through your talent acquisition process, when you bring someone in, you obviously, most organizations will spend time teaching. Here's, like I said earlier, here's how we do things here. But what we also want to hire is not the cultural fit. I used to use that word and I stopped using it mm -hmm. because the connotations suggest that when a leader comes in, they have to completely assume everything right. that's in the organization. Right. Now, we understand that that is true. Okay, there's a certain amount that's true. But what I really look for are people who are add value to the culture. Right. Who are cultural ads, meaning, for example, let's say we want to shift the culture in a different direction of, let's just say, process improvement. And I want to hire someone to do that. Well, obviously, they're going to spark change. But we also want someone who can bring that to the organization to help drive us in that direction. So our current culture is in a certain state. But I want someone to come back and add value to that culture, add a different mm -hmm. perspective. And that could be diversity. That could be gender. That could be a number of different perspectives. We want you to add to. We want you to come in, look at what we're doing, okay? Add, bring something with you, and then help to help us move the, the organization forward as it relates to our strategy or any other transformations we want to go through. Fit suggests you have to take everyone who you are, everything about you, and squeeze it into our culture. Right. right. Yeah. That just never works. It doesn't. Okay? It doesn't. So, so that's why I stopped using to that word. So hopefully I've, you know, kind of explained that. That's generally what I look for when I think about your question. No, that's great. And fit is also a word that, um, I try to encourage people not to use as well. And one of the, the, terms that I use in its place, but not just as a different word to mask that it's the same thing is a match because you're looking for skill alignment, but that they also will have the talents that match your needs and yeah. your needs change constantly. And so it's not about fitting in because you're generally hiring because you need something that's different from what you already have. Someone who's going to bring something completely different. But if their skills match your needs, that's what I would generally say I'm looking for. You know, I like what you said there, because what that also suggests to me is you actually start on the roadmap of belonging. When you mm -hmm. say match, it's like we, we it's almost you start to bring them into the space of belonging. You start the process of that just, right. the, just the way you, you kind of said that. So that right. I think I'm going to write that down and kind of use that. For free. Yeah. Cause free. to me, it's more, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's more about <laughs> the, the skill alignment, right? And yeah. then what we can help them, um, develop and what they can help us develop. So good absolutely. stuff. So many organizations struggle with adapting their culture to the changing times. 
Mm-hmm. How can leaders ensure that their culture remains relevant and adaptable in today's fast-paced world? You know, it's interesting. I'm gonna that it's such first of all, it's such a great question. It's such a relevant question for today. And the reason is we have multiple generations. Some companies have as many as five generations working in the same mm-hmm. place. And what I tend to see is it's very top heavy with baby boomers, Gen X, and a segment of millennials. Mm-hmm. But primarily, it's not so much the generation as the thinking. So to answer your your question, I think the first thing is, and this may sound simple, but the first thing is, is read. Okay. And I, and I say that because not a lot of people actually invest in their, in the understanding, the relevancy of the current times. Mm-hmm, now, mm-hmm. When I say read, I know there's a lots of ways to get information. So it might sound traditional in that. But when I say read, I'm thinking of being broad in your reading. Read something that's opposing to the way you may think now. Mm-hmm. Something that expands your awareness of different spaces and places and cultures, even things that you don't agree with. The key is, is do you understand? And the reason I, I emphasize that is in order for you to be adaptive, that's the word you use. How do we adapt? You can't adapt to something that you're not aware of. So how can you understand how to shift? And, and the, the one topic that comes to mind is this whole discussion around remote work or hybrid work, mm-hmm. right? There's some who are really stuck on, no, you need to be here because this is the way we've always done it. And this is a way that, that I've always led. But the reality is, is there's lots of also studies that will suggest that productivity increases if done right, um, which actually can be the goal already. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The question is, is do, are you aware of, of changing trends and spaces and places? Doesn't mean you, I'm not one to suggest you have to always follow trends. Right. You, just, you definitely do consider them though, instead of, instead of just disagreeing. So part of considering is being aware and getting information. The second thing I would say is, is really talk to the people who may be in the space and place who may have a different connotation towards a a specific cultural shift. Again, not necessarily that you have to do everything they suggested, but do you understand those who are in the space asking for or looking for the relevancy and and adaptivity of the current culture? Uh, I think it's just really important that leaders need to be engaged, not only just with what is going on in the market, and that's both financially as well as relationally or culturally, but also understanding their people and just really gathering that information. So to me, that's the best way I've known to do it. And this, and there are times when I, I may do some things I don't necessarily agree with, but if it, if it leans towards a higher level of engagement and retention and productivity and, and really meeting the needs of our employees, then I'm willing to adjust. Even if I still don't necessarily Either was I was not groomed that way or grew up that way, quote unquote, or have not done it that way. Right. Now, that's great advice. And you mentioned leaders and managers a couple of times there. And leadership plays a pivotal role in shaping an organization's culture. So how can leaders embody the values they wish to instill in their teams? Well, I think the first thing is, is you know, I've always said that uh, people repeat what they see and experience. So I think if you're going to ask for anything of your team, you have to, it's not about perfection, but you have to be an example of that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I know that's a, I know that's may sound a little cliche, but it is so real, especially in this world where everything is so visible and right. everything 
is, you know, everyone, you know, when you're a senior leader or let's just say a manager or supervisor, people spend more time watching your behaviors than they do what you say. So, you know, leading by example, which is what you've, we've all heard before, to me is even more critical in this environment than it ever has been. And again, not perfection, but, you know, if you want people to do what you're asking them to do, they've got to see that you're committed to doing the same. They don't expect you to always do it, but whether it's integrity, whether it's clearly communicating, um, you can pick pick your competency. They've got to see that embodied in in what you believe and who you are in order for be to be tremendously effective. Yeah, I think that's good. I I would also say because you talked about integrity that it has to be authentic and not performative. So I think that when leading by example, the leader has to truly embody those values. Absolutely, they will know. Don't think you can't. Right, right. They will know. Right. Yeah. yeah they will know. For sure. Thank you. So diversity, equity, inclusion is a hot topic right now with many feeling like it's under attack. So what is your advice to organizations battling with their commitment to DEI initiatives and how can leaders effectively manage these pivotal moments? You know, I think this is so this is this is a hot topic. This is a very, very hot topic. And I think what I what I attribute DEI initiatives to is really pressing on an organization, not DNI itself, but any organization has to be clear about what they stand for. Mm-hmm. Even if it's controversial. We, we, we know many examples. I mean, the, the most common one you can use is Chick-fil-A, right? Yep. Um, because this is most broadly known, mm-hmm. but you clearly understand what Chick-fil-A stands for. Right. And I think if we associate DEI with not necessarily the con, the, the, what we hear out in the market and all of the, um, negativity and or misinformation, which I think there's a lot of that. Um, it really comes down to who are you and what do you stand for? Mm-hmm. And again, you have to stand on that, even if it goes against, um, what some people may or may not believe. At least they're clear in what you stand for and people can make decisions. Okay. So. Part of me says, look, instead of focusing on the narrative, really look internal to your organization and say, what kind of organization do you want to be? Do you want to be inclusive? <laughs> and if you do, you need to be inclusive. <laughs> um, what part, what area of inclusivity? Mm-hmm. What degree? And there are degrees of inclusivity. Mm-hmm. You mentioned performative. Again, some, some are performative. It's all branding. But behind the scenes, that's not what it is. Right. That will come back to bite you. But I don't think you have to be all things to all people. I think Mm -hmm. you just be clear about what you stand on. Now, Mm -hmm. there are there are ramifications for taking certain stances. But at the same time, if you truly believe that and you stick with it, actually, I would tell you, most people who disagree will actually respect the fact that you're consistent. (laughs) Don't shift with the wind. (laughs) So I I just have to use one example, which was really interesting to me. Um, Right. Post George Floyd incident, there are a mm-hmm. number of organizations who jumped out the gate, said, we're going to give you Juneteenth off. Yep. And I said, okay, okay, do you know what Juneteenth is? <laughs> okay, because I, I think people reacted right. and maybe it was with the right intent. But this is just one example of, you know, when I go back to what I previously said, really get a clear understanding of 
what it is before you make uh, specific judgments about it. But also, again, it comes back to what do you believe? I'm not saying everybody who did that was wrong in doing that. But the reality is, is do you really understand it? Because you can actually you can actually have the reverse effect. Mm-hmm. If you see that, it didn't go against you negatively or you just reacted because of the, the climate. Mm-hmm. Because now what you see is everybody's reverting away from it. But not mm-hmm. everybody. Some companies are continuing to work and moving forward and they're not being tossed to and fro like the wind. And I think that's where people stop to trust, stop trusting ends, stop trusting strategies and things of that nature. So again, I could talk all day about this and and I know that, uh, (laughs) but what I would tell you is, is instead of focusing on the conversation only of DEI, talk, really focus on who you want to be as an organization, understanding the, different spaces of DNI and what it presents and, and, and not emphasize, emphasize more of who you are, which is including a lot of the DNI, DNI initiatives. And you'll find that most of it is what companies really want to be, but they kind of get wrapped up in the whole topic of DNI, which mm-hmm. is, which is really a distraction in my mind. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it, there's a narrative around it. And if you can. Yes tied up in it. I like how you said like tossed to and fro because that is what we're seeing is um a lot of groundhog day. <laughs> yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So measuring culture can be challenging, but it's essential to gauge its impact. What are some effective methods to assess an organization's culture? So I think I think I, th- I like quantitative and qualitative. I like a, a mixture of both. So mm-hmm. number one, I, I am a believer in surveys. I mean, I know that's it's you know there's mixed views on that. Um, to the to the extent that surveys can give you data and it can help you give you some level of measurement of what your employee groups are saying. Um, I've been a big user of and, and I won't mention those names, but there's all kinds of surveys I've used in the past. So I'm a big believer of that. But I don't like to stop there. What I like to do is I think it has to have action and we've heard this before. So I think you do the survey, you put action in place, what you're capable of doing though. Cause I think sometimes we overpromise and we do what I call a lot of event related actions versus true cultural work. So event related is, Oh, my employees are, you know, want to be, you know, happier at work. So we're going to have a fun day. Okay. That's, all good and great. And it doesn't mean you can't do that, but really digging deep into what really, really matters and doing the work there. In addition to fun day, fun day is not bad, but I think what a lot of companies do is they do these activities, but they don't address the real core. The real core to me are what is my experience day to day when I come to work? How am I treated? Do I have clear goals and objectives? Do I get good performance feedback? Uh, I'm a big believer in one-on-ones, regular one-on-ones to really provide a space and place for people to talk about their career and their jobs, as well as sometimes performance, sometimes job-related things, but really it's more focused on their growth and development. But, but, but you know, the, the quantitative is the survey type data, but the qualitative is more of the work. What are my action plans around that? But, what, but not just that, but how is it built into my culture? In other words, Don't do the, you know, doing a survey, then doing action plans and then letting those kind of dissipate into the wind is not ideal. Do the survey, do action plans, but then look at how you shift your culture. So the survey doesn't become the reactionary model. It's just part of the process of building your culture of understanding and belonging and all the things 
um, that people really need when they talk about um, engagement. So qualitative and quantitative together. There's a lot of methodologies you can use. It just has to be a healthy balance of both, not one or the other. For sure. I uh, I have to admit, even though I asked you the question, your answer sent me into a total flashback because I am not too far removed from completing my dissertation work and graduating. So when you said quantitative, qualitative and mixed methods, it took me about 30 seconds to snap out of it. <laughs> but I appreciate your response, truly. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. We're glad you're on the other side of it. Congratulations. Right. Right. Yes. Um, all right. So a positive culture can enhance innovation and adaptability within an organization. Given your HR knowledge, what is your advice to employees on how they can positively influence culture? You know, I, that that's that is so key. in when you think about career, uh, especially for employees. So when I think about employees positively adapting a culture, or influencing. I think the first thing is it's very important for every employee at every level, level to invest in their own growth and development. Mm-hmm. I get more concerning when I see employees come to an organization and only expecting the organization to grow and develop them. Is mm-hmm. it the responsibility of an organization to do so? Yes. I think it is. I think I think it would be it would be smart for you to do so. But it has to be driven personally. In other words, you have to have a personal desire to grow and develop. And grow and develop is not becoming the CEO or growing up job ladders. It's how do I get better at my own development mm-hmm. every single day? Now, let me tell you how that makes it a positive impact. Because when you invest in yourself, you know, you, you're sowing seeds, you, you should get an own harvest. And some of that harvest is your ability to not only add more value to what you do every day, but it's not just work too, because I think also that can go into community service work that can go into how you interact with your family and friends mm-hmm. that creates to me more of a positive outlook on life. And obviously when people have that, that should have a, a positive impact at work. The flip side of that, that concerns me is, is when um, there's not that investment and then you, you kind of see people either flatlining um, and that, and again, I think all these things are connected, family, work, community, all those things are connected. You, they don't, those aren't segmented parts of life. They're all connected. Um, when there's not that investment, there's no harvest. You tend, people tend to flatline or decline. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the one advice I would give employees in whatever way, however you like to do it, that can be taking classes, that can be doing things that are non-work related, you, certain hobbies, things of that nature finding and really driving towards your own personal satisfaction affects everything around you, including work. And when we think about mental health issues and things of that nature, there's lots of reasons, obviously why people struggle in those areas. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of times it, you know, it's really that, I, I, you know, there's, there's, it's been said that faith and works. So people can believe on something, but you got to put your hands to work to actually get there. So that to me is what employees can do to kind of positively impact their one way. I say one way they can positively impact their culture. Thanks. So let's continue in that vein. So how can employees foster a culture that encourages creativity and embraces change while also honoring traditions worth holding on to? Ooh, okay. Well, can I, can it, I'm going to give you an example. Um, Mm -hmm. 
in answering your question. One example I have, so, I, so I've been a part of a number of transformations in my career, which means the organization's in a certain state and it needs to make a shift or a change um, in order to continue to grow and um, take it, you know, take that organization to the next step. One of the words or phrases I use often is honoring the past and creating the future. And what I mean by that is anytime you're in a situation where you want to encourage creativity and embrace change, the first thing you have to do is honor the past. So imagine going into a new space, new organization, or let's just say a new team, a new department, because it can happen internally and externally. The worst thing you can do is get there knowing that that space needs change and criticize all the things that have been done. Mm. And the reason why that's why that's it can hurt change is because, first of all, however they did it, right, wrong or different, created the opportunity for you to be there. Number one. <laughs> OK, they may not have done it the way you have done it, but if they had done it, you wouldn't even be in a position. You're in. So true. OK, so you can look back in hindsight's always twenty twenty, and say, well, I wouldn't have done it that way. Or, oh, my God, that's crazy. All of that could be true. So when I think the first thing you do is when the creativity is you honor those and, and honor is the way I would say honor is, is you listen to instead of saying, why do you do it that way? Kind of with that tone, the, the opposite of that is, hey, I'm really trying to understand the department and you've been here. And you know all how this works. Mm-hmm. Teach me, explain mm-hmm. me. Why do we do it this way? Help me understand because mm-hmm. I know you know. So that's honoring those who have been there, even mm-hmm. if they tell you a whole bunch of crazy things. And we did it why? <laughs> because once you stop that honor, what you actually do is cut off the lifeblood of the change that needs to exist. So in transformations, I call it buried bones. When you come into a transformation, let's just say you're trying to spark change. You need to understand what's under the surface. And there's no better person or persons to tell you what's under the surface beyond those who've been there. They are the ones that are going to help you get to the other side. But if you come in and criticize them, you cut off that lifeline, you'll start to do a change that actually may be irrelevant to the change that's needed because you're lacking information and you're lacking context. So. In order to foster that creativity, first of all, you got to really understand where you are, but you got to involve people in that. And then when you want to embrace the change by involving them, they feel like they've had a hand in the process, which then allows us to honor transitions or traditions because not everything has to change is the other mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Some things need to remain. Absolutely. And I think that's the hard part. Some people think you got to just change everything. No, no, no. Some stuff you don't want to change. Some right. stuff they may do that's kind of like weird and maybe you've never done it. But just because you've never done it doesn't mean it's not relevant. That's right. So how then, if you don't honor those who have been there, how do you know what to keep and what to change? Right. So leaders need to be bridges, not stop signs. They need to be bridges. Mm. They need to be able to see on both sides of the bridge, understanding what needs to transition from point A to point B. And most importantly, generally, if you're going to make a change like that, some of the people who have been there, they, they have to come along. You can't you can't just like put them to the side. And then we start to add new people. You have to teach the new people. Hey, new people, honor those who have been here. But then you turn around on the other side of the bridge. You say, those who have been here a while, I need you to help create the future. 
I need you to create the future. So that's generally the way I've approached it. And I've learned along the way, haven't always been great at it, but I found that, you know, creating that space sparks creativity because even those who have been here have never done it that way. They may encourage us to do it a certain way that you've already had in mind, but it was their idea. So that's, that's kind of how I I would approach it and being able to kind of carry on tradition, but also spark change. Wow. Wow. I, I mean, wow, (laughs) that was great. I had to snap (laughs) to to stop myself from saying something because that was uh, leaders are bridges, not stop signs. You have to like go and trademark that. Incredible. I need to write that down. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Wow. Great. Uh, Thank you, Rodney, for sharing your valuable insights on organizational culture. It's evident that culture is at the heart of every successful organization, influencing its employees and overall performance. Before we wrap up, do you have any final thoughts or advice for our listeners? You know, um, first of all, again, thank you for allowing this space. I think it's a very, very relevant conversation um, and one that all leaders need to have. Um, with one another as well as really embrace. Um, I will say a, a final thought is, you know, I think when I think about leadership, I always often say, what do you leave? What do you leave when you leave a space? We all enter and exit. So mm-hmm. enter a space, but we also exit spaces. Mm-hmm. Entering spaces, people are getting to know you. But the question is, is what do they say when you exit a space? And I've always found it important as a leader that you want to be able to leave something substantive in any organization, any people group. You can think about family, whatever that is, where they know, hey, if it had not been for Rodney being in this space, we would not have had this. And that can be you sharing and mentoring those. That can be transforming a department. That can be teaching people um, different ways of doing things, but that could just be strong relationships. Mm-hmm. But I think as leaders, and we think about cultural change and all the conversations we've had today, that's kind of what rings in, in my space. So anytime I'm exit a space, I always want to be able to leave something valuable there. And then when I enter a space, I carry on what I've learned there into that next space and do the same thing there. So to me, that, that kind of is what I think about when I think about leadership and change and, in all the things that we've discussed. And um, that to me is a true testament of a, of a leader. What do they leave when they exit? Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you for your leadership and thank you for your time. I truly appreciate you. Thank you as well. And I'm looking forward to uh, hearing more of your uh, podcast. Well done. Thanks so much. So that's all for today's episode of Unveiling Organizational Culture. We hope you enjoyed the discussion and gained valuable insights into organizational culture as a topic. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Don't forget to share with your colleagues. For more resources and updates, visit our SharePoint site. Thank you for tuning in and until next time, be well.